0: And Lisa Capaldi is going to come up, and she's going to read Acts 19, 11 through 20. Hi, everybody! It's good to see everybody tonight. Um, uh, Acts through tw- or Acts 19 verses 11 through 20 is on page 928 in your pew Bible. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily.
1: Oh, uh, you may be seated. <laughs> How are you doing this evening? Doing well. All right, that was an exciting way to start off. Here we go. All right, awesome, awesome passage. I'm really pumped to get to share with you from this passage this evening. The sons of Skiva. Name kind of skeeves you out a little bit, right? Kind of creepy, a little bit of a creepy passage. And then it says that God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul, which is just a really awesome statement in and of itself. But extraordinary miracles in the sense that they were taking handkerchiefs and aprons that touched the skin of Paul and sending them out to allow people to be healed and to be free from evil spirits. Really, really interesting passage. Scripture, and we're going to continue in our series today looking at this passage. We've been in this series, this Acts series, for a long time, right? And we're going to make it all the way to the end of Acts, and I love it. I really, I'm enjoying how the book of Acts is just helping me to understand what the church was like, the early church was like, and how we should be that kind of church today, and and how that church functioned, and how we should learn from their example. And we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. And last week we found Paul in the city of Ephesus. All right, that's where we found Paul, was in the city of Ephesus. If you remember, Pastor Tim was preaching and he focused in on a particular passage that will be the launching pad for today's message, okay? So the verse that he focused on was verse 10. So if you've got your Bibles open, leave them open, all right, because we're going to be looking throughout the scriptures here But if you look back to verse 10, it's going to jog our memory from last week. So that way we can hop into the passage that we're looking at today. And it says in verse 10 that this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So this verse, verse 10, connects the events of the previous account with the passage that we're looking at today, that we get to jump into today. And I'm I'm pretty excited. I hope you can tell. Really pumped about this passage. So to refresh our memories and lay the groundwork, right, for today's message, I want to briefly talk about what it was that continued. Okay, so verse 10 says, This continued in reference to Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry continued. So what do we know? What do we know about Paul's ministry in Ephesus? First, we see that he was there for three years. He stayed in Ephesus. It was a longer stay for Paul. Some of the places he stopped in very briefly, some places he avoided entirely, but in Ephesus he stayed for three years. It was from Ephesus that most of the churches that we read about in the book of Revelation were planted It's where Paul penned his letter to the Corinthian church. And it's where Timothy, his protege, would go on to pastor and then receive the two pastoral epistles that we read about in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy. So not only did Paul plant this church, not only did Timothy pastor this church, but also the apostle John also pastored this church. And it's from the city of Ephesus, the Ephesian church, that he wrote his three epistles that we read, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So, okay, a lot happened in Ephesus. A lot happened in the church here in Ephesus, and it became the location of a very fruitful church in the ministry of Paul, and ultimately a very important church in the early church, the overall church. So That's the first thing that we learn about here is Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Secondly, and apart from the obvious works of the Holy Spirit... What made all of this possible, all of the fruit that we just talked about, this incredible ministry that took place out of this one church in Ephesus, what made all of this possible was Paul's dogged determination to proclaim the gospel message. Paul was determined to spread the good news of Jesus Christ throughout that entire region, day in and day out. Paul would get up before dawn. He would make tents to about 11 o'clock. Then he would preach in the hall of Tyrannus until four, and then finish his day in the homes of the disciples that he was instructing, further teaching them and helping them to become closer and closer in their walk with Jesus. He relentlessly kept up at this pace six Out of the seven days in a week, Paul was a hustler. He worked hard. As a matter of fact, he says that I worked harder than all of the apostles. And as a result, God blessed Paul's effort. So that, we read in verse 10, All of Asia, now not Asia, the Asia we think of. This is Asia Minor. This is southwestern Turkey. But all of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What an incredible statement. All. How awesome would it be if that same statement could be made of the Lehigh Valley because the church... Of the Lehigh Valley was committed to seeing the gospel spread so that all would hear it. It's possible. I'm telling you, if God can do it through Paul, one man who was determined, he can do it through a church of people who are determined. Do you believe that it's possible? So, before we look more closely at this passage, I want to provide just a little bit more background information on Ephesus. What was it like living in Ephesus? So we can understand the environment that Paul was ministering in. Next week, Pastor Tim is going to help us to take an even closer look at Ephesus to see how it parallels our modern context. But what is important for us to know is that Ephesus was a city hospitable to magicians, sorcerers, and charlatans of all types. At one point, if you read back in history, at one point in their history, a meteor actually fell from the sky, because that's where they fall from, and they worshipped the meteor for its magical powers. Additionally, Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, she was the goddess of fertility. And for now, that's a, enough meat for us to chew on for today's message. It's enough for us to know that Ephesus was a, a city fascinated with the supernatural and steeped in the occult. That's the context that Paul is ministering in. When you think about all of the enemies that the early church faced, it was it was. It was Supernatural, it was political, it was within their own church. And here we see the supernatural. We see how Paul is up against the kingdom of darkness. And yet, Paul, through God, prevails. He prevails in pushing back the kingdom of darkness. I'm telling you, if you are a spirit filled Christian, you are wherever you step foot pushing back and taking ground for the kingdom of God and we together are pushing back the kingdom of darkness in our city. Do you believe that? Do you know that even if you know it or not, (laughs) even if you understand it or not, and as we'll look at, Paul didn't even really know the implications of what God was doing through his ministry. But if you are a spirit-filled believer of God, together we are victorious in pushing back the kingdom of darkness in our world. As we discussed last week, following his typical pattern, Paul arrived in Ephesus and he immediately went to the synagogue. It was like he went to the local church, but they didn't have churches then yet. Paul was planting them, right? So he went to the synagogue and we're told that he persuasively for three months argued until finally they had enough of him and they kicked him out. This interaction didn't stop Paul. It didn't deter him from his mission. He actually would use his own money and the money from the people in his congregation to rent out a local lecture hall known as the Hall of Tyrannus. And he taught there daily for two years straight up until this point in this passage. Paul was unyielding in his desire to spread the gospel. Is that your desire as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it your mission in life? That everywhere you go, it's your desire to spread the gospel. That should be all of our hope. That we as believers should be the sort of people who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we're talking about here in the book of Acts, right? So to be that kind of church, so to be the kind of church that can see the gospel spread to every person in the Lehigh Valley, we must first follow Paul's example. We need to learn how to have clear expectations for what it is that you and I are up against. And ultimately, we need to learn to trust God to deliver the goods, Because God is the one who brings the increase, right? One plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. You know that, right? God is the one who brings the increase. Seeing how God moves through the faithful hard work of his people is exactly what happens in this account. God is working through your lives, church. Whether you believe it or not, whether you see it or not, Paul had no idea that while he was working, this story was taking place. You're not going to always get the opportunity to see the effect that you're having on the world that we live in, but I promise you, history will record, God's history will record the effect of the church on the world that we live in, and we are having an impact, but we need to up our commitment a little bit, all right? We need to realize what it is that we're called to and the opportunity that we're given to make a difference in our lives. You know, you haven't just been saved by God. You've been given a purpose from God as well, that he's filled you with his spirit. Ephesians chapter 3 will tell you this. This is for free. All right. This isn't even in my notes. Ephesians chapter 3 will tell you this. That it is the church that God uses. It's a profound mystery to the angels in heaven and to the enemy. That God would use His church, the people of God, to be the ones who spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. If God wanted, He could have sent angels to spread the gospel and they could have done it overnight. But no, He chose to use His people, the people of God. If we want to see the gospel spread, it's going to happen as a result of us opening our mouths and sharing our testimony, what we know, being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what you and I are called to do. Let's also consider that much of what is happening in this account recorded by Luke, again, was unbeknownst to Paul. Most of it was happening in places he couldn't even see. So with all of this kind of information out of the way, let's jump into the following verses, starting with verse 11. It says in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now I'm telling you, I could probably spend our entire evening together, focused on just these two verses. Notice the attention to detail. Luke, in this one sentence, makes it clear that God was doing the miracles by the hands of Paul. It was God who was doing the miracles. Did you catch that? It's not Paul. There's nothing in one sense all that special about Paul. He was just an obedient, willing, faithful, hardworking, and available vessel for God. But it was God who was doing the work and the miracles by the hands of Paul. How incredible, and I hope that there's a longing in you when I say this, would it be, how incredible would it be to be a useful and trusted instrument in the hands of God? How awesome would that be? To be fully available to God, to say, Lord, here I am. Take my life. Use me, Lord. There's a a famous pastor, Charles Spurgeon quoted him often. His name was McShane. And he says that it, it is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. Are you like Jesus? And are you becoming more and more like him? Because the more you are like Jesus, the more usable you are in the hands of your father. doesn't matter what your strengths are or what your weaknesses are, because even in your weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. Are you becoming more like Jesus? He goes on to say that a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. Don't you want to be an awful weapon in the hands of God? To be fully available for his use. Luke then goes on and he calls them extraordinary miracles. And I think this detail should get our attention, right? Extraordinary miracles aren't all miracles by nature. Extraordinary But we must consider the nature of these miracles set against the backdrop of where it was that Paul was ministering. We already talked about what Ephesus was like, the kind of place that he was ministering in. These actions weren't magical. They were miraculous. You know, some liberal scholars struggle to believe this passage because it seems so far-fetched that they've reduced it to legend. However, Given the context of where Paul was serving and doing ministry, it should be no surprise to us that his hard work in spreading the gospel was strengthened by God's miraculous working power to affirm the legitimacy of his mission. God was backing Paul in his hard work and his mission. Now what made these miracles extraordinary was that they were accomplished by people who borrowed Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin. I need you to catch this part. I don't care if you don't hear anything else tonight. This is the part that got me the most excited as I was studying this passage. They borrowed his handkerchiefs and aprons. It's obvious that it pleased God to accomplish these miracles in this way. And these miracles... Must have been incredible to witness in an area that was filled with fake, fraudulent, and false magic. Seeing something like this, something real, was so refreshing. And it was extraordinary. And even by the standards of other miracles that we read about in Scripture. But there are two important details that we can gather from these miracles. First... The miracles that God performed by the hands of Paul are placed on par with the miracles of Jesus and Peter. You know the stories in Luke chapter 8 where there was a woman with the issue of blood and she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, remember? Or in Acts chapter 5 where Peter was walking through the crowds and his shadow would pass over people and they would be healed. And so now we see Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons being used to heal people of disease and to free people from demonic possession. That's incredible. What's important for us to know is that that's not normative, okay? That's not normal. I think we know that. That's why Luke's calling them extraordinary. What God was doing is he was using these extraordinary miracles to establish his kingdom in a dark area. He was establishing and building his church. And these extraordinary miracles gave legitimacy to the gospel. Secondly, and I think that this is what really matters to you and I, let's consider and take a closer look at the objects God used to perform these miracles. Paul's handkerchief and apron. Upon closer investigation, these handkerchiefs, were Paul's sweat rags and his belt that he wore while making tents, the clothes Paul used while tent making to provide for himself to minister. These were his work clothes, and they were the objects that God used to accomplish these extraordinary miracles. Could you imagine your work clothes being used by God to accomplish incredible miracles. But consider what this must have meant to Paul. All of Paul's life was ministry, even his work. Everything that Paul did was for the kingdom. It was as if God was saying, I see how hard you're working for my kingdom. Paul didn't work to provide for himself to live the life that he wanted to live. Instead, he worked to provide for himself opportunities to further the kingdom. And as a result, God blessed Paul's efforts. Consider how different that is from us today. As believers living in the Lehigh Valley, we can relate to Paul in being busy, can't we? That's where the relation stops because our busy schedules are self-serving. If we're lucky, we squeeze some time in for God. And I'm not just talking about church attendance either. I'm talking about God encompassing every part of your life. This is not the pattern for Paul. He was busy making the most of every opportunity to further the spread of the gospel. And as a result, all of Asia heard. What an incredible accomplishment for Paul in his lifetime. If we want to see all the Lehigh Valley come to hear the gospel, it will require the people of God to live on mission in every area of their life For the glory of God. In contrast to the work of Paul, we read in the following verses, starting in verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These men were scam artists. There is no recorded mention of the name Sceva found in Jewish history. So it would seem that these men were pretending to be something they were not for a means of financial gain. And exorcism was a very lucrative business. And as you could imagine in Ephesus, business was booming. Much of the magic performed in Ephesus, though, was just that. It was a performance. It wasn't real. It was illusions, meant to trick people. But when these men encountered a real demon, an actual encounter with the supernatural, it did not go well for them. The prevailing thought in that day was that for exorcists to be able to cast out demons, they needed to adjure to a higher power and a name greater than their own. And as you could tell, at this time in Ephesus, there was no greater power or name than the name of Jesus, the one Paul came to preach about. In appealing to the name of Jesus, these men had no idea what they were doing. They were about to be made an example of in front of the entire city. The demons responded with saying, who are you? I have no idea who you are. You see, these men weren't claiming faith in Jesus. Instead, they were using the name of Jesus for selfish gain, And as a result, it says that the demon mastered them. And we might be tempted to laugh at what happened next. And I will admit, it reads a bit funny, but no doubt it was terrifying to everybody in that region. The enemy beats these men within an inch of their lives. I kid you not, if you read the original text, it says that it took a long time for their wounds to heal and stripped them naked, and sent them out in front of everybody as to show who they really were. They were false. They didn't have a gospel that could save. They had no good news to offer. And we could learn a lot from this passage. And actually, the application is found in the following verse, verse 17 And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. What we're observing here is the real versus the fake. Paul, who is a true and genuine professing believer in Jesus and somebody who uses the name of Jesus just to get what they want from him. And we need to determine how we should respond No more should we have unconfessed idolatry in our lives. Perhaps we think that we're nothing like the sons of Sceva. But is it possible that we are serving Jesus in addition to the idols in our hearts? We invoke the name of Jesus when it's appropriate, and in so doing, we take the name of Jesus lightly. It's clear from these verses That there were still many believers who confessed faith in Jesus, but were holding on to their idols as a backup plan. Like the sons of Sceva, many professing believers call upon Jesus without really knowing him. They are ready to call on Jesus, who will become their spiritual good luck charm, but they're not interested in knowing Jesus, the Son of God. They want a Jesus that they can use, not a Jesus who will save them. Genuine believers can find themselves fooled by this thinking as well. We lose sight of the biblical examples of Paul and others and think that since we follow Jesus, our lives should be comfortable and easy. We develop a Christian entitlement that demands a particular way of life from Jesus. How often have you found yourself saying, but God, I've been serving you so faithfully, why can't I have just this one thing? Why would you let that happen in my life? God, I've been serving you so that way my plans could work out for me the way that I wanted. You're using Jesus as a means to get what you want from Jesus. You're not serving him as your savior. He's just in addition to your life. He's your good luck charm, your lucky rabbit's foot hanging in your mirror, right? Like that's how we think of Jesus. He's the genie that we pray to when we need something. He's not the Lord that we submit our lives to. We serve other idols in addition to serving Jesus. So that way, when people saw the real, genuine encounter these men had with a demon, it scared them. They realized, we can't be halfway Christians. We can't live a fake Christian life. When they saw what happened because of taking the name of Jesus lightly, they came forward confessing and divulging their idolatry. A number of those, it says, who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. These were people who claimed to be Christians and yet kept their idols in the closet. They claimed to be believers and followers of Jesus and yet they still served their idols hoping that maybe one of these options will work out for me you know I'm convinced that if like Ephesus there were a temple located in the Lehigh Valley and at the center of that temple was an image of our local God right that's how cities serve they had they all had their mascot the God that they served. I'm convinced that if we had a temple here in the Lehi Valley and it was this beautiful, ornate temple made of marble, right? Sky-high ceilings, that if we got to the inner parts of that temple, on the altar of the temple, there would be a mirror. Because we have become our own gods, have we not? Yeah, I wouldn't serve, I wouldn't serve Artemis. That's crazy. I wouldn't serve, I'll just serve myself. I'll live my life for myself, make sure that my relationships are catered to my needs, make sure that I have the job that, that best fits my needs to provide for me the sort of life that I wanna live. And I'll go to church on Sundays because it's good to be spiritual too, right? I have a little bit of this and I have a little bit of that. All for the purpose of serving ourselves. That's not how Paul lived. Every part of Paul's life, from his work to his relationships, every hour he spent in his life, he spent for the glory of God. Is there any way that we're in danger of wanting a Jesus that we can use rather than a Jesus who wants to save us from ourselves? Let us respond in proper repentance, confessing and divulging our practices publicly to one another. Luke closes this encounter with a statement So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All because God chose to work through one man's blood, sweat, and tears. What would it look like if we had an entire church family fully committed to seeing everyone in the Lehigh Valley hear the word of the Lord? We'd see homes, workplaces, schools, and communities transformed. And we'd be certain to see the word of the Lord increase and prevail mightily in our area. Who's in? Who's in? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for this evening. God, I thank you for your word. God, your word is so good. God, your word, it reads us, God. We don't read it. Lord, it knows us so well. God, it it cuts right to the heart of the matter. And Lord, I pray God, that you would help us to distinguish between the real and the fake. And God, that we be honest with ourselves. Are we a real, genuine believer in Christ, living our lives fully devoted, completely available to you? Or God, is there a part of our lives, whether we're a believer or not, where we've not yet fully submitted or surrendered to you, the Lord of our life. God, I'm confident that if we would give our whole lives to you, we would live a life of greater adventure than we could have ever hoped for. Your word promises that you have a plan for our lives. God, we wanna be awful weapons in the hands of our God. Help us as a church to live on mission for your glory so that your word would increase and prevail in the Lehigh Valley, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.